Hello, this is Overexposed, a series of conversations about pollution and its effects on everything living and non-living. In this episode, we talk with Arjuna Neumann about tenderness, death valley and the blues. This is Andrea González. I'm Arif Konweitz, and for every episode of this collaboration between Yaya Nene and Sonic Acts, we ask one of the residents of the Sonic Acts residency program to contribute an artifact that has moved their work in a lasting way. The artifact, it took me a few days to think about it and come up with something that was recently inspiring. Um... And I came up with a feeling, it's, it's a feeling of uh, tenderness, but it's not like, it could also be uh, humbleness, um, or yeah, some, somewhere like between these things. And it's, it's a feeling that I've felt a few times over the past two years as we've been researching um, and producing a new film and a book and some essays. Basically, um, the research I've been focused on for the past two years. This feeling came, I think, first or strongly first when I was in Death Valley in 2019. Um, and then again, when I heard a song by uh, Tangle Eye called Tangle Eye Blues. And I heard that song recently, maybe a few months ago. Uh, it's not quite the same feeling, but roughly, I mean, it's hard to say. I don't think you ever have the same feeling twice, but they were similar. Um, and yeah, this is the object that I wanted to bring to uh, this discussion. We would like to know maybe how do you think this feeling or this yeah artifact or object as we call it now is connected to your work in general do you see any any relation or any trace So we have to go back a little bit to I think 2018, 2019. And with my collaborator, Denise, we were starting our second film. We have a, where we agreed to make four films and we've made, um, we're finishing the second one. Each of the films takes a classical element as it's, the first one was the element of water. And we're working now on completing uh, the element of Earth. Part of making the film includes writing, includes a mixtape, includes essays. So it's not just a film, but I call it that, but it's actually a two year or so, roughly one and a half to two year long research process. And then these are kind of moments of wouldn't say clarity, but moments where the research takes shape, takes form. And so the, the research question 
at the start of the second film back in 2018-2019 was one of them was what kind of sensibility or subjectivity or set of sensations might help us resist resource extraction so that being the central question research question that we've been Denise and I have been focused on and not quite a answer but like maybe an answer I don't know but tenderness being one of these a response say to that question um, and it sounds very simple like when I phrase it in retrospect but we like of course yeah tenderness is you know if you're tender then you're not going to be drilling into the surface of the earth um but it's 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 more specific than you know there's there's a lot there's a lot more to why this experience of tenderness um is a a response to this question um It's a beautiful, I think, proposition to talk about uh, resistance in terms of tenderness because a lot of the times, a lot of times, I think resistance is spoken about in terms of violence, uh, which makes also a lot of sense, I think. But I'm just wondering, is, is that also something that took you a while to understand that a, a certain, let's say, delicacy like tenderness can actually be like a resistance strategy and and also what is the role of something like death valley which is also kind of an extreme environment right in realizing that i tell you the i'll try to tell the experience of death valley in a second but another question another research question which i think is continuous throughout all of my work and my collaboration with denise is is how to bring together decolonial struggles with environmental justice struggles this is kind of a core focus of our work how to bring together you know or how to resist climate catastrophe and how to resist anti-racism i mean there's lots of different ways to describe it but finding where these two struggles or discourses or however you want to frame them where they intersect is is really important and historically somewhat difficult like in the history of environmentalism um race plays quite a insidious role often for example in representations of beautiful pristine landscapes the indigenous people are raised so it so conservation and conservative politics go hand in hand and from the other side kind of decolonial or black radical thinking hasn't not exclusively you know doesn't exclusively focus on race they have there are parts of it which do take issue with environmental concerns but generally not not so much it's not been a at the forefront of the anti-racism struggle and musically speaking that is is really quite evident when you think of like hip hop or black techno hip hop really claims allegiance to the streets to the inner city to the urban um and that's the site of struggle of music of cult of hip hop culture and then the same with well with black techno usually it's this kind of 
technologically mediated optimism or future through Afrofuturism, through the alien, through hacking, this kind of modalities, which is sort of turns away from the ecological. So yeah, a, a big part of our our work is to find ways to bring together these two discourses, these two struggles, uh, these two aesthetic practices. And I guess tenderness emerged both as a subject, a sensibility that resists resource extraction, but also one that emerged that I found in the blues and this history of uh, black musical culture. So yeah, I think tenderness can speak to both struggles or combine both struggles or entangle um, both struggles. And I mean, just to give an example, and, and this is tenderness means like soft and supple, gentle, often referring to things in nature like tender grass or, or a tender flower or tender, you know, a tender vegetable, tender steamed broccoli. Um, but also it means to serve or to attend to. And I think Fred Moten says... Um, freedom is not the opposite of slavery, but to serve is the opposite of slavery. So, yeah, this feeling seems to speak quite to quite core components of, of both of these struggles. For me also, I wanted to ask something about this uh, decision to make four films, because it brings me to a very beautiful text that you wrote, um, about the four humors of human body. And uh, I don't know if it's connected, but for me also like this idea of tenderness and of like bodily experience is um, really crucial in your work somehow on, I don't know, like how to, or like questions about how to empathize with landscape or how to transform this idea of latency or of the invisible layers that you can see in, um, let's say, in nature that has been extracted, but also in bodies that have been involved in this uh, in this process. I think this this question or this challenge. I think historically we've always thought of the the human as separate from nature, and I think so much of this. Anthropocene discourse is really changing, um, changing the way we understand the human and the body, and in relation to the wider um, environment. But I think, I think it's not like it's pretty self-evident when you spend a good amount of time in nature, in, in quotations, like in a kind of place which is remote from the stimulation of a city or the the noise and the pollution and, you know, this kind of um, overstimulation that happens um, in urban or suburban, you know, in, in, in populated areas. When you spend a good amount of time, you start to notice changes in your in your in how you and what you hear and what you see i think your your senses work on a, a more subtle level 
Um, just simply like when there's a lot of stimulation in the city, when I walk down, you know, the street in Hackney, there's so much noise and the buses and people talking and all of this that my senses, I start to kind of shield, you know, just because it's, you know, I switch off some of my senses. But then when you're in the desert or, or in these kind of more remote places, your senses start to um, sharpen or or become more subtle. And I think it's in those moments that, like, the, when your senses are becoming more subtle or sharpening, you could call them your senses could be becoming tender, or, like more sensitive. I guess, like if you, like if you're bruised, it's super sensitive when you push on when you push on the. I know this is radio, but I'm making the gesture of pushing on my arm to <laughs> show what it would be like to push on a, a bruised part of your body. But a bruised part of your body is is extra sensitive, and being in nature could be a kind of making tender, making your senses tender. Is this connected somehow with this also idea that you speak about of periacoustics? I think this this periacoustics um, came up in a in our earlier work, and it's um, the acoustic space of the the unborn child and the way an unborn child hears across multiple registers, hears the mother's voice, which is actually an extension of them, or the the baby is an extension. You know, they're they're not separate beings, um, but also hears normally the way. Um, sound waves bounce back and enter back through the belly. So it's a kind of listening on uh, through multiple registers, but also a deeply embodied form of listening. Like the unborn child can only listen in an embodied way because it is only, <laughs> you know, the, the body surrounding it is, is what is resonating and transmitting uh, the sonic frequencies. So I think, yeah, I think like... Practicing periacoustic periacoustics or listening in these multiple ways, or being reminded that we first learn to listen when we're this kind of multiple being, when we're not quite two beings and we're not one being, we're somewhere, you know, a, a, a pregnant woman and child is, you know, it's like somewhere between one and two beings. So I think remembering this kind of moment of listening, or that's the first, that's how we learn to listen in this state. So remembering this mode of listening rather than the very sovereign ways in which we're kind of here and we, you know. But I just wanted to come, before we move into the music, I just wanted to tell the story of, of Death Valley. Um, because it is a super extreme landscape and it feels a bit like like a cartoon landscape when you drive i don't know if you've been but when you drive 30 minutes one way it's sand dunes and then you drive 30 minutes another it's completely flat and then there's another it's salt and like it's like you step through one door and it's a cut it was for me although i used to live in california i had never been to death valley i'd been to other deserts and i think for anyone who grows grew up in Europe, going to the desert for the first time is always quite a like strong experience because like, there are I don't know there aren't really deserts in Europe, um, and this I'm gonna try and describe it, but you have to excuse the description because it's like it's one of those things which is quite a 
full-bodied, rich experience, but then whenever you try to tell it, it's like, oh, um, that's it, kind of thing. So just, like, yeah, bear, bear with the, the description, but it was, I think, I think we'd been in... I've been in Death Valley for three or four days, so we're really getting into this desert vibe where you're kind of dusty and, I don't know, a lot of social conventions goes out the window because you're kind of, the nearest town is a few hundred miles away. I don't know, you get into this state of mind of being very kind of, I guess, relaxed or, and, and your senses are sharpening, you know, it's very quiet. Um, so we've been there a few days, we've been talking a lot of philosophy, so we're in quite a strange headspace, in quite a strange uh, physical body space. Um, and we wanted to shoot the sand dunes as if the camera was touching them. So we were trying to get a bit, a bit away from opticality and visuality, knowing this kind of colonial and enlightenment history of opticality and so we wanted to try and use the camera as if it was a hand we wanted to make it this kind of tactile experience of filming and the sand dunes are perfect for that because they look so smooth and they have these beautiful curves so you can just kind of pan the camera and try and trace the contours of the landscape and then the sun was setting and it was a full moon and so there are all these these kind of planetary things not in a um, not in a mystical sense, just kind of full moon, sunset, um, desert, just a, lo a lot of contextual environmental things that were happening. And so there's a, the car park is at the front of the sand dunes and they keep going. I don't know how long they go for, maybe 10 miles or something. And the further you go, the fewer, fewer tourists sort of, you know, they don't want to walk out too far and I went really really far until I was like the only person <laughs> um out in the sand dunes and then the sun goes down and it's perfectly silent because all of the sand absorbs all of the sounds and there's no one around me in these dunes I and mean, it was just like like uh an experience I guess more humbleness than tenderness but an experience of feeling very connected with the landscape um, in part because I was trying to film it as if I was, you know, touching it. Um, and so this is where this kind of notion of tenderness as a mode of resistance, as something that speaks to ecology and decoloniality, um, starts to emerge. Thank you for this, um, taking us to the to the desert for a second. I think, Andrea, you also went to the desert a while ago. For me, it's been a really long time since I've seen anything remotely desert-like. You went, no? Yeah, I was in, um, in the desert of Sahara, actually, last year, around this time. But I feel, yeah, this notion of overwhelming, also being overwhelmed by, by the... It's like 
ocean, you know, it's like being in something that you cannot get out of somehow, like you're literally in the middle of an ocean of sand, which is hot. And, um, you know, air is hot. Like it's a, I like it also, no, it's like being overwhelmed or like being immersed in something, which is quite different of the bodily experience that you have in your life. You know, like I feel we are not, we are not, we, we are very detached somehow or yeah I think this overwhelming feeling I think I definitely felt it at times and then there's like a moment where like you just kind of accept I don't know there's a like like a sort of moment of acceptance or like releasing control I don't know it's a bit hard to describe I think I give you another example we're on a boat in the south pacific going from one island to another and it's quite a small boat maybe i don't know like 20 30 meters but we were taking a 24-hour trip um and there was a moment where i look back behind and i can't see the island behind maybe it's been four or five hours we've been saying and i look forward and i can't see the island <laughs> in front and so it's like i if there's an accident or something, I, there's no swimming to safety. <laughs> you know, there's nothing like. And at first, it it made me panic. I was totally overwhelmed. Um, but then eventually, I was like, "Well, this is just <laughs> like <laughs> just have to accept it. This is like this is where <laughs> this. If something happens, and something happens, I don't know. There's a kind of releasing of control. You know, for very different from like being able to jump in an Uber." Did you have any ex similar experience l lately, Harry? Oh, lately? No, definitely not. I mean, it did kind of remind me of being uh, on a mountain in uh, Portugal and being able to see the horizon, but also kind of reflections of the sun on the ocean and being very confused by kind of the exact end point of what I was seeing. And, you know, like this kind of unsettling of locality, I think that's maybe what I'm what what gets a bit close to what you're describing. Yeah, it also made me wonder what uh, Arjuna, what you think. Yeah, what you think is the connection of time or the experience of time to tenderness, and how that maybe will also act as kind of a let's say a gesture to understand this the grand scale of ecological uh, disaster or just dynamism. Is it is it a good question? And I haven't like yet thought about it but it's something it would it's definitely on the to-do list um when we're in the desert 
something that Denise and I were talking about was how... Actually, something Denise was saying, so I've got to try and remember it. How there's a collapsing of time in the desert. There's kind of things turning to dust. Like, so you still have the trace of things, but you also have this kind of dematerialization of things. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but it's a, it's a really important question to think through. there is something about uh, also the expressions right being in time being out of time I think that really relates to this feeling we were discussing before the podcast what tenderness means uh, we're both not native English speakers and I think like tender is something that you always kind of read or hear but then actually if you look it up it doesn't necessarily become extremely clear <laughs> but that's maybe also what the feeling is in a certain in a certain way right One of the ways I think about it is also like as as it came to me through the blues and this kind of like question of, you know, this what is the blues, not the music, but, you know, when you have the blues and and I looked it up and it's it's to do with bruises when you're black and blue. So this kind of origin of the blues is actually an embodied You know, you're, it's like somewhere between having a physical bruise on your body and somewhere somewhere between that and having an emotional bruise or emotional distress or wound. And it's sort of, as you go back to the etymology, it's not really clear whether it's a, a, a wound in the body or a wound like a depression, you know, melancholy. And I think the blues made that, makes that connection um, or helped me make that, that connection. Um, and thinking about like feeling tenderness in relation to especially like bruises and the bruised body and histories of trauma and histories of um, of, of violence um, so I think like I guess one way to think about tenderness in relation to time is, is about this kind of um like intergenerational trauma or collective trauma or the kind of trauma that keeps on reappearing and reappearing like um and to think about tenderness as some way a consequence of that but a, a not a not necessarily a consequence but like a shift of that trauma or something shifting um some kind of shift Some maybe the way trauma or grief can turn into action or can turn into an actionable, like, uh, turn into motion.
this is like I, I feel it's like also very present in many of your works is like this liminal or liminal gaze somehow or like being really interested in uh, whatever is between things or like uh, this idea of transformation or uh, there's other thing also regarding time that you mentioned about this the corpus infinitum or this possibility for a for a body that is shared like a shared body amongst time so like a body that that's how i understood it also like a body that is like collective or also form of many other bodies like and that can yeah it has this idea of eternal or something like that or i i don't know if i got it right <laughs> yeah definitely i think yeah i think this kind of as as you describe it yeah so uh, you also brought a song and maybe we, you could introduce it really quickly and then we'll play it. Hmm. Um, so this essay that I'm writing or have almost finished for Sonic Acts um, looks at an untold history of the blues or very little told history of the blues um, that actually it was very inspired by indigenous culture and music specifically the Choctaw people who used to live and some still do live in Mississippi in the Delta where the blues comes from the usual narrative is that the blues came from West Africa through slavery and I think that's true in part but I think this other source of inspiration um, is super interesting not very explored um, I think there's one book that I found called Guitar in the New World, um, which kind of has some research on this untold history of the blues, but it's starting to become, I think, it's starting to become more, more known or more researched. But I found that connection interesting because it goes against, you know, what I learned, you know, the Martin Scorsese film on the blues, it goes against a lot of the kind of traditional narratives. But it also... I found also interesting because coming back to that question of like bringing together environmental justice and and decolonial decoloniality decolonial struggle, if there is a moment of solidarity between musical solidarity sonic solidarity between Choctaw people and early blues musicians, this is a a great moment where anti racism and environmental um, justice. You know, happens at a very at the source at a at a formative moment. So I think it sets the ground for you know bringing those struggles or finding connections across those discourses and struggles. And this song, uh, "Tangle Eye Blues," I sort of discovered it a few months ago, and um, ended up writing about it for the Sonic Axe essay. The, the essay that I wrote for Sonic Axe is composed of, I think, six shorter essays. And each essay, each mini essay, takes a song as its source of inspiration. And the whole series of essays is kind of like a mixtape or, or a playlist. Um, and this Tangle Eye Blues is the last song and essay of the group of essays. And it also ends on this notion of tenderness because I sort of reheard or refelt what I felt in Death Valley coming back in um, the song Tangle Eye Blues. So yeah, let's listen.
recording is so uh, spacious wow yeah uh, it was recorded by Alan Lomax in Parchment Prison and yeah it's quite a spooky recording it seems like you can hear other prisoners kind of in the background but it's I mean it's quite a classic trope but there's you know to have this prisoner, you know, this, but then to have some a, a prisoner to be also so tender in this kind of contradiction between, I guess the the quite the reverb and the sound of the penitentiary behind, and then this this very yeah beautiful voice. Um, I'm not going to talk about it too much, but use this as a chance to point um, to the to the essays, uh, the sonic the sonic act essays i think this song of the playlist i think there's about 20 different songs it doesn't have so much of a 
reference to ecology or to kind of agricultural lifestyle. A lot of blues songs, um, early Delta blues, the songs written and made in Mississippi, have references to the environment, to ecology, to farming, to natural disaster. These are very common themes in in the blues. And it's this kind of sensitivity to the natural world, I argue, is in part inspired by or shared through um, Choctaw people, their music and, and their culture. Some of the blues musicians were Choctaw, like Charlie Patton was part Choctaw. Um, but this song, while it doesn't sort of have the kind of um, like if you listen to a Charlie Patton song called High Water Everywhere, the way he's playing the guitar sounds like a flooding river. Um, and then the lyrics sort of talk about High Water Everywhere. This song doesn't so much have this kind of sound or lyrical references to the environment, but I think it more captures this kind of sense of tenderness. What, something I say in the, in the essay is about this nickname... Tangle Eye, which could be a um, indigenous name. Um, there are a few other blues musicians who have indigenous sounding name like Muddy Waters, Howling Wolf, Robert Nightingale. And Tangle Eye could be a native name, a nickname. And I use it a little bit to think about this kind of what a Tangle Eye is and what it does. You know, maybe it's... Uh, cross-eye or, or you know what happens when you kind of let go of vision and that sound but I, I think like yeah to kind of point here to the the forthcoming essay with sonic axe because yeah it, it i go into it in more detail there i don't know if i if i listen to it properly but is it it was because was it because you were also listening to it or because that is in the recording and we are listening to it with proper headphones. But I heard these echoes somehow that were behind. I don't know if there were other voices or it was you listening to the same song later, which comes to something that we discussed right after talking to you about also music as a vehicle for somehow bringing also speaking about this eternal body or shared body or like access to this shared history through time, that music in its very way of being made has the ability to reshape these echoes and to re-embody them again. Somehow for me, that's something very beautiful that crosses your essay somehow like that idea of like music as a continuum also let's say liquid or substance or shared echo that kind of comes back again and again and is like rephrased and re-singed and re-embodied uh, somehow. Yeah. I think this, like, we're just starting, or I'm just starting to think more about echo and the kind of negative space of music. Um, there's a lot been written about it, especially in relation to dub dub music and the kind of reverb and echo being a way to measure distance um, but then in dub sometimes the echo gets the reverb gets louder which means like the room is expanding I guess um, 
it's like it's an impossibility like the impossibility of the dub echo is that the room is expanding um and i think it, there's quite a lot been um written about you know the way echo is important to distance and diaspora and then knowing uh where you are in a, in a in a place like guess echo location is this way of kind of locating locating yourself um yeah, there's a lot to say about echo or about different musical techniques. I think um, one of the things that I got interested in a bit more than echo because it's not like you hear it in this song because it's recorded in a prism and I guess there was no way to record Tangle Eye outside or in a studio because he's in, in the prison. But I think the blues, Delta Blues was like played outside a lot and i think the lifestyle of these early blues musicians was like I, I went to mississippi and i saw sun house's shack which was kind of falling down and it's like it's literally a sh like it's barely indoors you know it might keep you out of the rain but it's this lifestyle of living very close to indoor outdoor agricultural uh, lifestyle and i think the early blues music is this kind of for, to me it's more of an outdoors you know, a music from outdoors. And I got very interested in, it's called the blue note, where you pitch bend um, a note and it turns a note into a space. So like when you bend a guitar string, it's not the fixed note like a piano key, but it's somewhere within a few, within a few, you know, semitones from where, where the note could be. And that in a sense creates a space it's called pitch space in um, music theory. And it's quite, I think it's w quite a radical in the kind of, in, I'm not a music theoretician or anything, but like, as I understand it, it was quite a radical thing to do, um, to bend notes. Um, and my interpretation of it, of this sort of using the guitar and using the bending of notes to create space is also a way to create shelter, a kind of musical shelter and for both indigenous and the descendants of slaves, shelter or home, you know, is something that has is always longed for. It's like a part of diasporic condition is a longing for home. Um, you hear it in this Tangle Eye song, you know, it's all, it's all about trying to go home. Um, and so this kind of pitch bending as a musical and speculative way to create a home or create a shelter. So yeah, that was something a bit more than the echo. Like I was more in, like starting to think about echo, but I think this kind of pitch bending, which is very unique to the blues.
well, I mean, I can I can connect it to. I do want to talk about techno. Um, so in the essay, sort of, or not this version, but another one, um, I got interested in this uh, Roland Monosynth, the three hundred three, which um, its nickname is Acid Sound, and it's basically that kind of squelching uh, sound that you hear on. Like that helped birth techno. Um, I can't think of a good example right now. I mean, the one that I use is this Fast Eddie Acid Thunder song, um, but you hear it in most like '90s techno. Um, and I think this, the way this the monosynth works, is similar, kind of in the lineage of pitch bending in the blues. This kind of um, shifting of notes around is I say is comparable to um, the kind of frequency cutoff uh, effect of the 303 which gives this it's that feeling in techno where you sort of your heart seems to be getting faster or you seem to be like coming up this kind of rush feeling that the 303 does um, and I think of it in a similar tradition to the to the pitch bending and the way that kind of for me is, is super interesting is when you look at um underground resistance this detroit techno uh collective um they have their afrofuturist and their techno optimistic side but they also and it's not so well discussed they also have an EP called the Acid Rain EP, and they have three versions, Acid Rain 1, 2, and 3. And in these three EPs, all of the tracks are named after weather, meteorology. One's called the storm, the rain, the sun, um, clouds, mist. So there is this, like, um, tradition in, in techno, in black techno, that is concerned with environmental questions and i think like the acid rain is refers both to um the 303 which is consistent throughout all of these i think there's probably 14 songs it's consistent or more maybe consistent across all of these songs but it also refers to the acid rain happening over detroit from the industrial manufacturing um but i i think this this history of black techno is again super interesting because usually it folk techno focuses on the technological or the alien or the Afrofuturist, you know, this but it's it's very difficult within the Afrofuturist paradigm or an alien paradigm, it's very difficult to have any care about the planet Earth. Like you know, if you're not from if you're from Saturn, then you don't care whether the planet Earth is polluted and destroyed. So I think like there's a kind of problem with the Afrofuturist tradition in that it has a blind spot in relation to environmental justice. But that blind spot is more like a consequence of the Afrofuturist tradition, whereas when you go back to underground resistance, okay, second wave techno, but they very much have a focus on um, environmental concerns. And the kind of extraterrestrial of Afrofuturism, as I understand it, is also partly an imaginary, right? That actually allows you to, to then come back and think about uh, this planet instead of kind of, uh, yeah, a purely 
let's say technic or technological approach to solving uh, issues. Um, what what I also just had to think of is that there seems also I mean there's also this kind of disregard for a certain functionality of the 303 which was intended to be actually a perfect copy of a bass guitar uh, and then also the guitar and the pitch bending which was also not intended to be bent but just kind of followed from the design of uh, or the playing actually of the guitar but then there is also the what DJ Rupture talks about, um, kind of background of auto-tune, which is very prevalent in, well, all kinds of music, but primarily rap. Um, well, I mean, auto-tune is a technology that was used actually to uh, find oil because essentially it's a way of mapping frequencies and uh, reflections of frequencies, which you need to f to make an image of the ground and to find oil in the ground. So it's a technology for extraction, but in the case of hip hop, it is kind of yeah disregarded in a way um, and used in a way that's also not intended and becomes maybe a, a tool that can also, I don't know, at least allow thinking about resistance, right? I'm pretty skeptical in general about technology, but I think music and its kind of hacking or misuse or appropriate or misappropriation of musical of instruments and technology is one space where I sort of are a bit more optimistic or have an appreciation for the misuse of technology versus a kind of like top-down surveillance base or kind of extractivist... Uh, Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to connect. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was it was very nice, very nice to chat. Yeah, I wish it could have been here at. Uh, <laughs> I wish it could have been in person at Sonic Acts. Um, I think this year there's no festival, but maybe next year we'll we'll see each other here. <laughs> Te perro con un chando distinto. <risa> Todo.